Welcome to the Adventure Creator Podcast, episode number 31. I just finished my first short film called Still Skiing, and this podcast is basically going out into the world with the film. This is going to be a deeper dive into the two subjects of my film, J.P. Cook and Marita Solberg. I assume you've seen the film. If not, pause, go watch the film and come back. It's 11 minutes and 20 seconds, but my two friends are awesome. They are ski coaches by winter and they inspire me to pursue a life that revolves around storytelling and being outdoors and all the other things that I want to do with my time. So it's been an awesome experience filming with them, producing this film. The idea is that in a 11 minute film, you can't really get to know JP and Marita that well. So you're going to learn a ton of new stuff about them, their paths and how they met, uh, which is pretty funny in and of itself. But Without any more delay, let's get into the episode. Here we go. J.P. Cook and Marita Solberg. All right. J.P. and Marita, finally sitting down. Finally. Yeah, finally. <laughs> Man, we just watched the the first rough cut of the film that we were making together, and now we're going to have a podcast about it and about you guys. Yeah. Hell yeah. The, the movie looks pretty sick so far. Done an awesome job. Yeah, you sound a little sketchy there. Sound a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, you've you've done an awesome job editing it, and it's super cool to see the footage. Some of the stuff we've seen before, but a lot of the stuff we we haven't seen before, and it was really cool to kind of go back and re- relive those moments that that you'd filmed and yeah, yeah. talked about. Yeah, and it was fun for me to to uh, share it with you guys. I've been looking forward to for a while. So. Uh, we're sitting down here. We just basically for the context for this conversation is we just want to have a podcast first and foremost, but also we're making a short film and this podcast will kind of go along with it. Like in terms of uh, the future of putting art out in the world, it's not about just putting one thing out. And I think uh, this conversation will be like a deeper dive into you guys, whereas the film is just kind of like only a eight to 12 minute, ideally, maybe a little bit longer uh, kind of like look at what you guys do, why you do it and things like that. So yeah, totally. So don't talk over each other too much. I'll, uh, (laughs) I'll kind of like guide it back and forth, but yeah, feel free to jump in. Um, first question is how did you guys first become so passionate about the outdoors? Ladies first. Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, I grew up as like in a skier family, essentially. Uh, both my mom and dad really pushed um, just every weekend during the winter. We were up at Alpental Ski Resort. Uh, we had a condo for a while. My weekends were, were spent up up at the mountains. So I that's just how I grew up. Skiing every weekend was, was just something we did. Um, from a I, young age, from like super early on. Uh, yeah, I, I started skiing at, you know, the age I could walk, essentially. Um, I always grew up being uh, essentially a, a weekender up at the mountains. Uh, we spent Friday night through Sunday um, every weekend in the winters up up at Alpental. Uh, I started skiing at like two and two, two and a half, you know, right when I could start walking, essentially. My parents had me on skis. Before that, I was up in the mountains every, every winter in, in the backpack when backpacks and children in the backpacks were allowed on chairlifts. Um, they stopped allowing that? I don't think you can do that anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that. No, backpacks. you definitely <laughs> very often. You definitely can't do it anymore at ski resorts. <laughs> what, did something happen? 
I'm Probably. sure there were multiple. <laughs> Probably like, multiple children drops in backpacks <laughs> off the chairlift. Yeah. So I wasn't though. <laughs> so JP, did you have the same experience? What I'm getting at is uh, you guys, your families got both of you guys. We were a ski. F- my dad skied. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, I love her, but she is not a mountain person. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like, she likes looking at mountains. She doesn't like being in mountains. There's a way to interact with the mountain for everyone. Yeah, yeah. My mom's the same way. Yeah, she used so, to be more into it. Yeah, totally. And um, like she'll get in a, in a chairlift and she'll get freaked out. Um, yeah, I mean, gondola. No seatbelt and you're, you know, 40 feet up in the air. It's yeah. Pretty serious. Yeah, it's pretty serious. So I got stuck on the Whistler chairlift. At the biggest, like the highest point between the ground and the chairlift, probably a couple hundred feet, maybe, in the middle of the summer too. So it's just like rocks down there. So yeah, let's let's uh, after. So let's get to know you guys a little bit more. Like, how did you, were you always in love with the mountains? Was it something you just did with the family? Um, I mean, I definitely found that as a kid, my my joy was winter. I always looked forward to skiing. And being up in the mountains, that was, I mean, I wasn't ever like a super popular kid. I wasn't ever super good at like a bunch of sports, but I, I was pretty good at skiing, keep up with all the guys. Um, and it was just super fun. Like that's what I loved. I loved going every, every year we'd go to Whistler, the very beginning season for Thanksgiving, always looked forward to it. It was just like, oh yes, winter skiing time is here. So skiing, winter wonderland. Yeah, skiing definitely brought me into the mountains, but I mean, as I got older, I I would say like as a teenager, I definitely kind of tried to push it away a little bit. Um, when I was younger in middle school or like 13 or something like that, I tried to join ski racing up at Alpental and I was, essentially all the kids were super clicky. I was like, I don't want to deal with this. I ended up hurting my knee that year. That was uh, 2008 or something like that. And essentially, Alpental and Shulkarn Pass didn't get any snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, they closed down from the middle of January till the end of February. Uh, and I was like, I joined ski racing this year. I hate ski racing because everyone is an asshole to me. And it's not as fun because going <laughs> on ski racing is really boring compared to skiing chair two every, every day and like getting to ski moguls or powder or whatever. Um, and then I had some, I had a similar experience, not necessarily remember. I don't remember like all the kids being assholes, but I did ski racing like one time and I just remember dreading it so much. Like, I love skiing, but I loved when I would get out of the lesson and right. I could just be free because, <laughs> like, kind of similar yeah. to JP, I think you talk about it in the film at one point, like, the freedom that you get of skiing, yeah. especially as a young kid, something you don't get very often. Uh, totally. Part of, like, free ride. We coach free ride. So right. part of that is you try to engage people with what they want to do, where ski racing is, this is what we're doing. Right. You be have a certain time to start. Stand in line and All then right. get ready yeah. now. Go. Yeah. And, and free ride is like, we're going to go ski all over the mountain. We're going to go have fun today. Mm-hmm. But when you go have fun, I'm going to teach you how to have more fun. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to go do. And then you get in a competition setting and you're like, okay, go make the coolest, funnest line 
that scares you a little bit and then makes you have fun by the time you get to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So how did you initially, I know you've been coaching longer than Marita, correct? Yes. How yeah. many years have each of you guys been coaching and how did you get into it? So um, I got into skiing when I was a kid, um, like really young. But uh, in terms of when I started um getting more into the kind of the coaching aspect. I was 13 years old. My dad didn't want to buy a pass for me. And he essentially was like, you know what? You're going to be a volunteer ski instructor, helper kid when you're 13. And you're going to, I'm going to buy a $70 pass instead of a $350 pass. And you have to work on Friday nights and then you can ski on Saturdays. Um, and good deal. I was like, did you complain yeah, was, at all? No, I was like, yeah. oh, as long as I can go skiing. Sounds awesome. Yeah, sounds, <laughs> sounds like a great time. Um, and then I got my level one uh, when I was 14. Uh, so like level one certified ski instructor by 14 years old. And so that year I had like my class every week for eight, uh, seven weeks or something like that was just two four-year-olds. Wow. And by the second to last week, I got them on the chairlift. Oh my god! And it was because the lines were so long for the magic carpet that I didn't get them onto the magic carpet until the third week. What do you mean? It was because we would get over by the time I'd get these little poopy pee uh-huh. pants kids uh-huh. over to the magic <laughs> carpet. They'd either need to go take another restroom break uh-huh. back at the lodge, or they were just done. And so well, it was like, okay, the first three weeks, I literally couldn't I even get them to put there. You now with your level of patience for things, doing that, that could, could no, that no again? patience, <laughs> no, them all of my patience has been run out because I started this crap when I was, uh, you know, when I was thirteen. Wow. So fourteen, I had loads of patience. Most most people are going through that when they're nineteen or twenty or twenty five. You know, just out of college or whatever, and they're like, "Okay, cool. I'll have some patience with some kids." No, that 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 was all done for me by the time I was like twenty, doing multiple years of it. Um, so you started at thirteen, and just you've been coaching since then, or you took a few yeah. Years so I got my level one when I was fourteen, um, fifteen. I worked for the same ski school again, um, and I trained a lot that year. My dad uh, paid um, a decent amount of money for me to get training to get better at skiing and better at teaching, get more technically um, sufficient in terms of like huh. my actual knowledge of how to move and how to uh, teach people how to move their own bodies better and how to balance better. Um, I was told that I probably could have taken my level two at 15 and then I waited till I was 16, taught one more year at Snoqualmie Pass, got my level two and then the person who had passed me on my level two uh, exam, one of the um, examiners uh, was the ski school director at Crystal Mountain. And so um, we were there. Chuck or no? No, was, <laughs> the, not Chuck. I, Chuck. I met Chuck a little bit later. This is uh, Sean Bold. Chuck's a character. Yeah, yeah, Chuck is a very, <laughs> he, he's a character. Big personality, little guy. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Sean Bold um, led us around, took me, like, skiing and, like, off-piece skiing at Crystal, and it was, like, my first experience doing, like... Off-piece skiing, define that for the... the okay, so, like, piste is 
main run. You know, this is Great. where the, all the trees are cut out. Big open hillside. Off piste, you do this traverse along a ridge line, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in the trees, and you've got a little more fresh snow, a little softer, it's a little shadier, snow stays a little better. Um, and it's just a little bit more challenging, it's more fun. And I hadn't really thought about that in my skiing. I'd only really thought about, okay, I go down this run and I carve it, or I go really fast, mm -hmm. or how can I ski it more technically sufficient? I hadn't thought about, okay, where's the good snow? Where do I go to have fun? And Sean Bold kind of introduced that to me. And cool. we were, I was skiing laps with him and my, my dad was just skiing laps with my family because he didn't want to go on the off piece stuff. And he was like, you know, you should just teach for me next winter. You should teach Saturdays and Sundays. If your dad doesn't want to come do it, you can stay in my fifth wheel. And cause he was staying in B lot every, nice. every weekend. So, um, I told my dad that and he was like, well, I guess we just have to start working at crystal. And so the next year we started working at crystal and, um, cool. I was at a meeting and my, one of the people that, um, my dad would take clinics from had seen me ski one time when I was eight years old. And just the way that I moved, for some reason, I looked like really balanced. Um, and the guy who saw me ski through this race course when I was eight was the first time I ever skied a race course. Uh, he was like, who the hell is that? And he's this. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, no, 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 He's this Scottish guy named Gavin. And he just saw the way that I moved and. Mm -hmm. Um, he has an eye for movement and the way that I was skiing was just really balanced. And you don't see a lot of eight year olds kind of like doing anything, but pushing their skis around really hard. And I was able to just kind of stand on mine and make my way down through the race course pretty easily. And so he knew the way that I skied from when I was eight and he remembered that. And so by the time I was 17, he'd know that I, he'd known that I passed my level two because I was the youngest person to pass my level two that year, other than one of my best friends. Um, and so he offered me a job as a, um, like a tail gunner for his private ski school. What's that? And essentially what, what that is, is there's a main coach. Um, main coach is like a level three top end certified, um, really, really good ski instructor. Tail gunner is just, a person who can stay on their feet and pick up the pieces of people who crash nice. on runs. And so I might give someone a little like tip or like a, a little bit of feedback if they ask, but my job essentially is to just be like, Oh, Hey, you fell. Here's your ski. Yeah. Um, let's look for your pole. Cool. So got some context on, got some, little you know, of yeah. You guys. Um, so you, I, I love that too. Cause you're, you're already getting me started on terms of like, the way you have to learn is you have to kind of get in these situations where yeah. the, the, the things, if you really want to learn about something that you're going to be passionate about, it's not like you can get a job day one no. as a ski coach. It sounds like you had to kind of prove yourself as a good skier, meet the right people, be in the right places almost. Totally. Yeah. Just like kind of put in the time of. of yeah. Uh, I mean, I started training. ski instructing when I was 13. Yeah. Know, and um, level JP's, one, then two. Just uh, time. Exactly. 
<laughs> his explanation of um, him starting as an apprentice, I actually did that exact same thing, yeah. just just Alpatol instead of West. Um, the ski racing in the next year, I was like, okay, I need something else to do, and uh, I did I did a little three year olds. I I got my three year olds up on the chair a lot sooner than I coached than JP soccer. Did. I ref soccer, <laughs> so I can relate to what you guys are talking about as far as like doing a job, but it's like yeah. pretty much babysitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. You're just trying to manage the kids. Yeah, to keep it all in line. You're yeah. just you're just trying to make sure they don't pee their pants. <laughs> You ever see just, that happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, so many three-year-olds pee their pants. That's what we call that code in the ski browns. industry. Is we call it a code brown. Code brown is, is not is peeing your pants. It's the worst possible thing that can happen in a ski lesson. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if the kid falls off a cliff, but he has a code brown and I have to deal with it. I am not happy. <laughs> That's not exactly true. But I just wouldn't deal with the code brown. I would yeah. just make the parents deal with the code brown. But, oh, this... There's this guy that works at this, this ski hill, and he he dealt with a code brown. I don't know how he could do that. I just what don't do you even. Mean he dealt with the code brown, like he like, actually like he took the kid into the bathroom and wow. like helped him clean up. That's great. That is great. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, Jed, are you kidding me? Jed? You actually you actually did that? Wow. I was like, no, I just would have brought him down to kids club and made him sit outside in the snow and wait for his parents. <laughs> Like, I would not touch the kid. <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, I'm not dealing with that crap. <laughs> There's a scene in the film where, like, I think Marita comes up Quicksilver with Alpie, and you and I were waiting for her because we took yeah. a lift and just skied on down through TLC. Yeah. And uh, he goes, like, Alpie took a poop in the park, you know, like, Alpie had a little diarrhea in the park. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to cut it, and, you know, it's kind of funny how hard it is to, like, cut stuff out, but it just is, like, we, we get enough of that, you know, we'll, we'll get to know Alpie without knowing she got a poop in the park. <laughs> it, was, it was super funny. Oh, we're talking about you. Yeah, Alpie. Oh. I wish Alpie could join the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, so, if you, like, watch the film, and then listen to this podcast like you get to know you guys even more totally be pretty cool um i met you guys through edon we got to give a shout out to edon yeah yeah big shout out to great human being the edan edon is and, great uh, you know growing up in this like seattle metropolitan area a lot of like there's a and we can all speak to this but uh like a general path <laughs> that most people take which is like go to a four-year college get a solid job start your career, you know, kind of go that way. And like, we were all exposed to that and have chosen a way of a, a, a different path, which like yeah. everyone has their own path. So hopefully in this conversation, like we can kind of understand like why you guys do what you do in terms of not only like why you love skiing on like a, like a, the sports level, mm -hmm. but also grand scheme of your life, creating a life that like revolves around the outdoors. Yeah. That's why I ask about how you first became passionate about the outdoors and it sounds like early, both of you guys early. When did you know that you wanted to make Marita? Let's start with you. When did you know you wanted to make the outdoors like part of your professional and like future in like a big way? Um, honestly, it didn't come until later in my life. I would say I was pretty sucked up into the you know like stereotypical idea of Mercer going High to School. a Mercer <laughs> Island, going to a yeah. four year college, getting some type of job. Um. I would say JP actually had a big role in my um, my life course. Not necessarily. I mean, 
I think he convinced you to be a ski bum. Is that what you're telling me? A little bit. Um, well, I, th- I, think I mean, I that definitely my... did. I would say I definitely did the first time. The first time for sure. Yeah. You guys moved to Colorado or something, but I won't cut you off. Keep going. Um, but I mean, yeah, the thing, the thing is, is that I think overall throughout my whole life, I always found being in the outdoors, the, you know, it was kind of where I felt the most at home, the most myself but I kind of always fought that for essentially like until I was, you know, 18 years old and I went to the University of Montana for the first semester and I just wanted to be a party girl and do all the, you know, basic bitch shit. And I had met JP right before I left for college and college, I joined a sorority and I was a sorority girl for a little bit and I failed all my classes and then had a panic attack essentially at the end of the semester. This is news to me. This is brand new. Yeah, this is, this is my whole life right here. Um, and I was like, I like this ginger over here who just moved to Colorado. Um, (laughs) And then he convinced me to drive his suburban from Washington down to Colorado and let me stay with him and ski for free while I was like, I don't want to do life. I don't want to go back to school. And then he convinced me to be a ski bum with him. Um, And so I moved down to Colorado and I was a ski bum and... Um, then JP completely destroyed his right knee and we moved back. And after that, we, you know, went hiking and I kind of, my, my dad's always been in the bike industry. He tried to take me biking when I was like seven, Mm -hmm. um, for the first time. And I fell and cried and didn't want to go again. (laughs) And so he never took me again. Now I love mountain biking. Uh Didn't start until I was 19 years old. Um, and I wish I'd started way earlier because I'd probably be pro. <laughs> uh, I believe it. I believe it. You're, you're one of the... You, you do pick up things quick. Um, oh, maybe. Kind of. Um, you're fast on a mountain bike. Now. There you <laughs> You're fast on a mountain You say bike. I'm quick to pick things up, but it did take me... You didn't... You didn't see me ride when I was first riding with JP. <laughs> like yeah. Pioneer Park... You know, like the dog park area, that type uh, of stuff scared me at first. Flat I was, I was terrified. I yeah. was like, I can't do this, even though it's flat and I could walk or yeah. run or do anything on it. Like I was terrified of a mountain bike. I, um, yeah. It, I mountain biking actually taught me so, so much in terms of like how to learn how to push past boundaries. Because I started skiing so young, and I started skiing at Alpental, which is really steep like Mm -hmm. i skied chair two and nash when i was like five or six years old that type of stuff didn't phase me on skis but um i mean when i started hard ground is the difference or what well different i mean it was just it was just yeah it was new right like i had to push past a mental barrier that i had already pushed back past in my youth Uh and i didn't like Again, I I wasn't like super athletic or into sports, so I never really taught myself or had anyone teach me how to really push past those Mm. physical and mental barriers of fear and um, just, you know, learning something new. School teaches you one side of that, but it doesn't it doesn't teach you the side of, you know, this is something that's scary. You could hurt yourself on it. How do how do you get past that and use skill that you've learned instead of completely giving into that fear? Um, I love it. This is awesome. I, I got into mountain biking three years ago, right around when I met you guys. Yeah. yeah. And I just always talk about like how much 
fulfillment almost I got from like seeing myself improve and yeah taking a couple spills like Edon said to me one of the first times we went to Duthi he said to me yeah he fell and I was like oh man I was like I don't want to do that and then obviously I've fallen a dozen times since then but he's like yeah it's gonna happen it's gonna you know it's happened before it's gonna happen again it's part of the sport yeah and yeah when you yeah when you kind of get over that I feel like the other thing is when you would when I would go mountain biking and then like go throughout the rest of my day, I almost just feel like, Oh, I was just, you know, riding this bike and so in the zone in the moment, just flying around basically that now like the rest of the day seems a little easier. Totally. So, there's yeah. so many, there's so many ways that mountain biking in the morning can just make your day so much better. Oh, man, I love it. You we get, all, yeah. you get that like fulfillment of, I actually, I got some exercise. I mm-hmm. feel like I, I don't know. Me personally, if I don't get any exercise in the morning, I definitely feel more antsy during the day. Oh, yeah. I feel way better if I have just an absolute ton of coffee in the morning. I get to go ride my bike, and then I'm like on that come down from the coffee the whole day. Just coffee. Let's my legs your, are my legs are tired, and I'm just. You're a big coffee guy. I'm a bit yeah in the morning yeah. Absolutely. So before we like move forward, Marie, I'm not letting you off the hook because you just <laughs> quickly mentioned like you just in three minutes like talked through your entire like adolescent to adult lifehood, and you yeah. did a really good job of explaining <laughs> what happened. Um, a lot of like I, I just want us like stop and kind of like dive in a little bit more on like what tra- that transition for you between like kind of just going the path. It sounded like you were going to be a sorority, you were a sorority in a sorority in yeah. Montana and like that wasn't necessarily resonating with your soul. It wasn't like who you really were. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, so you, what like first like tell me like like a little bit more detail on like what you had to go through, how you like made the decision to like leave the, the panic attack you mentioned. <laughs> I've had a small panic attack during finals week before too and you know when pressure builds up and you've got something that you haven't been taking care of for a while. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that. Um, well, honestly, so it's a little bit of a love story, but not really. Um, and, and also, uh, how'd you guys meet again? I think this is a, well, us gingers, so, we blush our, our faces. Get are just, they're so there's, you get yeah. so red so quick. <laughs> um, okay. So going into how we met, uh, so most of you know what Tinder is. However, when Tinder was just starting out, um, there were a lot of other kind Options. of very similar apps and stuff like that. One yeah. that allowed minors uh, was called Hot or Not. They had like a, a minors and then people who were over 18. So I got that when I was 17. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't... I, I did not know this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was not a minor when you met when, when you met me. But essentially, I yeah. got Hot or Not when I was 17 because I was like, oh, this is one that allows me. And, um, <laughs> and so then I continued having Hot or Not because it was still like a popular app then before Tinder and Bumble came, came along like just completely overtook the market and um i was 18 at the time when i met jp on hot or not and we chatted and then we got our snapchats and we snapchatted for like a month then i finally met him he invited me to like a quote unquote party which ended up just being one of his friends and one of and that guy's girlfriend and jp Um, 
Well, everyone we ditched out on me. We've got a party going on. Everyone was like, ah, never mind. I'm not coming over. Like nine people. Oh, nine yeah. people canceled on me. And it was like, I don't know what to do. So, so you were living in Montana at the time? No, no, no. No, I, this was still in Washington before I moved yeah. to school. Okay. So this was the summer in between me yeah. graduating we from high up, school. Marita, you and I went to the same high school living yeah. on this little island. JP, you grew up in Bellevue, our quote-unquote rivals in yeah. sports. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. quote-unquote rivals. Just basically rival. an extension. We're just all one We're thing. We're all yeah, one it's, thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the white suburbia of... Um, what, suburbia of, of Seattle? Yeah, East Seattle. of Seattle. Yeah. East yeah. of Seattle. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so where was I? Uh, yeah, well, talking so, about your tr- the, that like transition between, like, like, did you know that you had to make a change in your life? Like, or did that hit you hard? Like, um, so, essentially, I met JP before I went to school in Montana. I was like, I like that guy, but I want to go be a party. I, I want to go party, like, essentially. Because in high school, like I was saying, like, you didn't know me that well because you probably didn't know me at all because I was just kind of like this reclusive little high schooler who wasn't popular and just like hung out with all the smart people who was way who were way smarter than me. <laughs> um, and so I went to I went to school and I was like I want to do the whole college thing. I want to be a sorority girl. I want to go party. Like I just want to. I I wanted that ideal you know American path. That's what I wanted and I joined the sorority I was like having fun and then kind of towards the end of that semester I was really feeling pretty empty um and it was kind of like wow I didn't do very well in school I have no idea why I'm going to school these people like kind of are my friends but really aren't at all um and so then that semester ended like I was saying failed like two of my classes out of nice. the four cl- four or five First classes semester I was freshman year yep. pretty much. Uh-huh. yep you know the typical better it goes wrong early than late yeah <laughs> um and uh, I was hanging out with JP when I came home from Montana in Washington he was had just freshly torn his ACL um and was a little gimp and I would like <laughs> hung out with him until he decided to move to Colorado uh like the second or third week in December and I was here being a sad person, being like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Why am I making my parents pay $15,000 every six months or however much it was to go to school? And like, I'm going to have to like file for student loans. And I have literally no idea why I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And um Essentially, JP was like, hey, I like you a lot. You should come out and hang out with me in Colorado, and I'll make it as easy as possible for you. And so um, after New Year's, I went and... That was the pitch, huh? I was like, hey, you can stay in my house. You can drive my car down. I'll give you free tickets. <laughs> that sounds good. You can skip school. <laughs> well, I didn't have any school then. Oh, okay. Well... Um, but I was like, you can ski because there's no snow in Washington, yeah. which is why I moved to Colorado that year too. Mm. Was because there was I saw it coming because I went and tried to ski tour up the uh, up Crystal the first week that they opened, and I right when I got up to the top, there was a ski patroller, and he was like, "Oh hey, what's up?" And I just was chatting with him, and he was like, "Yeah, we're we're gonna close in it for like another couple weeks probably Ooh. because like there's no snow." And I was like, "Yeah, I can see that. I just toured up from the bottom, and I had to jump from patch to patch on the way up." Um, we'll talk about kind of like 
some seasons you guys have had where like you went to Montana that one season, for example, there was just no snow. Like in, in Montana. Yeah. But there was a ton of snow here. Yeah. Exactly. And we just got so totally this area got yeah. totally skunked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this film when I originally started shooting it, like the goal was just to capture like who you guys are, why you do what you do, and like kind of the ups and downs of like being yeah. a ski bum, making your life around skiing. Totally. So I'm trying to get this camera started again. Um and yeah that's just one of the realistic things jp we talked about it at one point when you were coaching of just like these free ride um competitions for example like in the northwest specifically the weather's so variable even throughout the day throughout like every you have no idea what the weather's gonna be yeah. you have to kind of like go with it you have to roll the punches if you will totally uh, yeah that's what makes a good free uh northwest skier uh you, you just got to ski the concrete or you get pow yeah uh there's no such thing as but, bad bad skiers just bad snow what, yeah, no, no, yeah no, the opposite the, there's no such thing as bad, bad snow, snow just bad, just bad, bad skiers, bad skiers. <laughs> technically there is bad snow but technically yeah. let's let's be idealistic here but <laughs> One of the, the film starts with you guys skiing at Baker in August on a tiny little slip of snow. Hey, hey that I, time of year, any snow's good snow. That time <laughs> yeah, of year? Exactly. August, it, right? Yeah. yeah. That could be that could be hard hard packed sun cups with dirt on top. And I'm gonna make it fun. Yeah. So I wanna know <laughs> and I wanna really to understand. Yeah. Let's let's under, I wanna understand like why it's such a big deal to you guys. Like uh like seems kind of absurd to go drive like an hour and a half just to go ski like a 50 foot patch of snow or just like yeah. to even like create your life around this concept of getting outdoors skiing mountain biking whatnot so who's who wants to start first because i i, I want to understand like each of you guys it sounds like you met and you had similar sort of like childhoods in terms yeah. of being exposed to the outdoors marita we haven't really I want to catch up on like how you got into coaching. Sounds like both of you took an, like an apprenticeship route. Yeah. I, I mean, I ski instructed essentially after I tried ski racing and then, uh, started the apprenticeship. My, my mom was a ski instructor. Um, so I was essentially, she was actually like a supervisor at the time when I was in my teens. And so I was able to actually kind of lived the life as a as a teenager um with a job i got like one of the high-end class like the high level classes um <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean it was at alphantal so a lot of the skiers aren't you know especially a lot of the instructors aren't super good skiers so i i was better or you know just as good as a lot of the adults who were teaching these multi-week lessons um so i that's kind of how i got a little bit more into the free riding scene but not really i wasn't super exposed to kind of the free ride style of skiing professional skiing was ski racing to me mm -hmm. until really i met jp honestly um like i knew a little bit about like you know i watched ski movies every once in a while mm -hmm. um but yeah i i'd ski instructed but i wouldn't say i coached free ride like I went and had fun with some kids who were younger than me, essentially. Okay. okay. Um, but you were and, into coaching. Yeah, I, I was ski instructing, and then and then I met JP and in Colorado when I was there for the, you know, it was about a month of skiing every day, chasing a whole bunch of nineteen and twenty year old guys around the mountain, mm -hmm. and I was like, wow. I just got way better at skiing, um, even though I was pretty good before. I was like, I have to keep up with these guys. I'm. 18 years old i'm i well i had broken my body i had torn one acl before that um 
we're gonna get to your injury. We're just <laughs> My <started>. injury list. <laughs> um, but I was just like, yeah, I'm just gonna chase these guys around. Hawk off these moguls, like, wow, I've never gone this fast. I've never moved my feet this fast, but I just kind of learned and kept up. Um, and that's kind of got me, you know, a little bit more up to speed, I'd say, in terms of, you know, the Chuck, like you were talking about just a little bit earlier, who's the free ride director at Crystal, like, kind of noticed me when we went to Crystal and started um, being, we, we were uh, full-time ski instructors. I was not a free ride coach the first year we were full-time ski instructors at Crystal. Um, when you were like 20, something like that? Uh, yeah, 19. 19? Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, I think that was my first year. I was 19. Okay. Um, I was just, you know, like, hey, yeah, I'm going to hang out with this, this guy I really like, and I'm not going to do school, and I'm just going to go ski and be a ski bum in the winter. This is really awesome. I like this a lot. Um, Sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just kind of, I mean, to step back a little bit, um, we were talking about Colorado, JP Blue's knee out. We moved back to Washington and then we, I, I wanted to spend my time with my boyfriend that I loved. So I was like, hey, yeah, I want to get into mountain biking. I want to go. I was always into hiking, although I would say my, I wish my parents took me out in the mountains more when I was a kid. I, I just had younger siblings. It was just wasn't as possible for them. Mm -hmm. um, but once I started hanging out with JP, that was kind of, more of our life we were like what do we want to do together let's go hiking and then jp started biking actually because of my dad a little bit because he was like yeah. hey you want a job and my dad got jp a job at a bike shop and then jp started mountain biking mm. and then i was like okay i guess i could start mountain biking we spent started spending a lot more time outside it was our first year of turns all year kind of going back to what we were just talking about What's turns all year uh turns all year is when you decide that you know you, you ski every month uh during the winter so why not just continue that throughout every month of the year. So you do Sufferfest about, you know, <laughs> four to six months out of the year to get up to some wherever the snow is and you go make a few turns and you check it off and appreciate that there's glaciers that you can ski in Washington all year round and hope that maybe some years one are day- easier than others. <laughs> it is quite a blessing that yeah. we live in a place we can ski all some year Some Octobers are powder filled glorious like days this year. like this, this year season, I guess, 2019. and some years you're going up to artist point and skiing the worst sun cups of your entire <laughs> life you know you just never know that's the great thing about the it's mountains an experience it's, it's always a unique experience but yeah going back essentially um as i got more and more time spent out in the outdoors i kind of realized that that that's what made me happy and that's what i kind of needed to somehow figure out how to make it a center point of my life um because when i focused on things that weren't you know being in the mountains enjoying using my body and just kind of exploring and just having fun i'd say fun is a really big aspect to it because as you as you become an adult you really lose that you lose the amount of fun that you get to have in your life and being able to find something that that brings that fun back which for me is really just being out in the mountains at any so time. Being a sorority girl wasn't fun. Being a ski bum is. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> for me, for me, that's what fun is. It's yeah. not. It's not dressing up and putting a bunch of makeup on and going and drinking and being a sorority girl. It's you know making my feet hurt a little bit, but then being able to 
ski down something real fast or get a huge face of pow and you know yep yep <laughs> so you guys have made like that you these are my words but you've created a life that revolves around the outdoors yeah. so maybe jp why like why do you put the outdoors at the center like rather than like for me more like i love the outdoors i get out there but and I, it, it is a very core part of what i do but like, yeah i like i love how you guys like prioritize like even during the ski season there's like a shot in there where you're like yeah i work as little as i can during the ski season and just ski as much as possible so like talk to me about your mindset of why you love it so much and uh just like share a little bit of that passion with us um all of the best days that i can remember all the best experiences i've ever had they've always been in the mountains They'd never been down in town. They'd never been in cities. All the best experiences I've ever had are always when I'm doing something outside. So, you know, I can think back when I was a kid going up and going skiing with my dad. That Those were some of the best, best childhood memories is skiing, going dirt bike riding. When I was a kid, we would go dirt bike riding. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad had dirt bikes for me and my brother and and him and we would go we would go dirt biking and that's kind of what I like to do and when I was 17 years old I remember being in in high school and deciding that this was not that was not for me mm. and that I needed to find something with my life that I actually wanted to do and I realized 17 years old was also when I uh, got that job with snow performance uh, with Gavin and when I started to be a tail gunner and I realized that I could actually have a job that I like it was the first time that I had kind of realized for myself that it doesn't have to be the same as everyone else like I could do something that I wanted to do I love it like it's I early to figure that out it took me till 23 uh, I remember my history teacher, Mr. Best, was taking me to the principal's office for some reason. It wasn't a bad thing. I don't. I remember it not being a bad thing, but it, like had some sign, some thing or whatever. And he asked me just briefly, "What do you want to do with your life?" And I was like, "I want to be a ski bum." And he goes, "Wow, that's cool." <laughs> no way. He's like, "That's your best. That's really. Uh, that's really original." And I was like, "Hmm, yeah, I guess so." I had a teacher in high school my senior year. I always played basketball, like, up all through middle school through, like, up until I got kicked off the basketball team my last year of high school. So I picked up skiing again, and I would just skip class and go skiing, like, a couple times a week maybe. I went, like, maybe 30 times that year. That's awesome. And my my, uh, teacher asked us to, like, introduce ourselves or something like that or maybe write down a quote that we're thinking about and I just wrote I'd rather be skiing (laughs) that's amazing he was just like yes Mr. Twombly I'm hoping to get him on the podcast he was just an awesome teacher and he was just like man like go you know he would just it's honestly nurturing passion in kids is more important yeah and in yourself is more important than like what anything really this Mr. Best guy at the beginning of every class every year his his you know like the opening day people go through the syllabus or whatever he takes a class out to the football field gets you as far away from the school as possible that he can mm-hmm. 
and then points you back at the school and goes, this is perspective. Mm. Normally you're inside that school. We're looking at it from back here. Everything that we're talking about, because he was a history teacher, mm-hmm. everything that he talks about in that class was about perspective. So I just think that he's a pretty insightful guy and uh, talking about perspective is definitely a pretty cool thing and being able to, he was the only teacher that when I said that, Mm -hmm. what do you want to do with your life? I want to be a ski bum. He was the only one that had a positive response. Mm -hmm. What were other teachers saying? That's not going to make you any money. Yeah. Right. I was like, who the fuck cares? (laughs) (laughs) I'll be skiing and you won't be. Yeah. You're going to be in town sitting at your desk holding a pencil and I'm going to be holding my ski poles in the mountains. Is that that bad of a thing? It's Uh, in Bellevue. It is. Yeah. It's uh, in in Bellevue. It's, you know, people just don't want to hear that you're not going to make money. Well, it's funny, too, because I, I had a big shift of perspective on this, too. I used to think, like, you had to kind of follow a certain path. And I went to from high school straight to college. And uh, my buddy's dad is like a partner at Deloitte. And he said to me one time that he just hired a 27-year-old ski bum who had been just living on the ski mountain for the last five years over a 23-year-old like Princeton or Harvard grad. I can't remember what it was, like an Ivy League kid. Basically saying having life experience and knowing your purpose and having like a real reason for why you're applying for this job is going to take you a lot further than... And just like having a story behind why you do what you do. I think like, if you, like for example, the people that kind of took you under their wing, like they saw that... It wasn't just something that you just wanted to do for the sake of it. You're being told like you actually gravitated towards it. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And uh, it's been like since I met you guys three years ago, like there's a few people, my friend Lewis who's a glass blower. You guys like where you're living in a way that is like no one is telling you like, sure, there's people telling you what to do and you're just living the way you want to live, which is like so core to this film and to why like I love hanging out with you guys. It's uh inspirational to have other people like they say uh you're an average of the five people you spend the most time with you guys are probably in my five you know and yeah and, we uh, spend a lot of time together yeah, yeah. Of, so for me to say i got two ski bums in my in my five <laughs> a little sketchy but no you got i mean living seriously like every time we go out skiing mountain biking like i'm always trying to like understand like your guys mindset from a filmmaking standpoint um and capture that but um Marita, one thing you mentioned, and I'm gonna we're gonna take a few breaks throughout here, so maybe there'll be an edit at one point, but um, to start cooking some food. But one thing you mentioned is being a role model to other people, and I know maybe connect the dots between like you growing up, transitioning to like living a life more around that you feel more in control of, where it's more aligned with you. Yeah, um, and then like how you see yourself. Like, just listening to you is inspirational for sure, but why does that bring you joy to, like, see your kids, maybe talk about coaching and why you guys like coaching? Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, coaching, I, like I was kind of saying before, didn't really get into the free ride style of stuff until only a few years ago. Um, I guess actually only two years ago, uh, I, I started, I was finally, you know, Chuck, the free ride director, I, I competed um, in 2018, uh, in my first free ride comp and it was super fun. The biggest adrenaline rush I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. 
I hooked super big. I placed sixth in the um, qualifiers and then got to go to the finals um, and ski the king in the finals against essentially some women that are in the freeride world comp right now. Um, So it was really inspiring to do that. The year after, I was asked to be a freeride coach. That year, I ended up blowing out my knee. Um, But really, in terms of kind of I, I got this past year, I got to coach uh, essentially like the older girl group. So all those 16 and 17 year old girls that are honestly really good at skiing. Um, a lot of them didn't that they, they just did it because their parents put it in, put them in it really. But they had all, all of them had a really good connection with each other. Mm-hmm. You could see that skiing really brought them together. And I it's cool being in kind of an authority quote unquote authority position in that in that sense just because I could kind of be like, hey, as as 17 and 16 year old girls, you essentially have the exact same body as me. I mean like you've all matured. You kind of have the exact same muscles as me. I'm gonna huck off this and so are you. And um <laughs> kind of going back to like what mountain bike taught me, um mountain biking taught me is just like kind of pushing past that fear. I think that's a really, really important lesson to learn. And I think a lot of women don't get the opportunity to learn that. I think as we're going through the years into the 2020s, it's becoming more of a focus uh, to have girls kind of be pushed in those ways that they were kind of pushed away from before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like being able to kind of be in that forefront of, you know, like, hey, you, you can get hurt and it's okay. It's okay to have bruises. It's okay to, you know, have a couple scratches, make your nose bleed. Like it's fun. It, it teaches <laughs> you how to be really resilient in a lot of different aspects yeah. of life. That's why I love this woman right here. <laughs> She's got a great woman. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I mean, I'm really lucky. I got to ski my whole entire childhood, got to learn how to do that, but I didn't really learn how to push past those boundaries until I was older. And I think the more we can get girls into sports and having them push boundaries. I mean, you can already see it. There's kids and girls who are better than me on mountain bike right now. I'm sure that there's a a 13 year old girl on a mountain bike doing backflips. I know there's 13 year old girls doing backflips on skis already. And it's just, it's really cool to see the progress, especially in the women's side of that. And a lot of those outdoor sports, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those kids are way better than me already. And yeah. it's just it's just going to be really cool to see that in the future, how women are going to push that, push those kind of extreme sports. Super cool. Super Before we go cool. to JP, how has skiing, mountain biking, like you talk about pushing those boundaries, but like extrapolate that or like how has that impacted other areas of your life? And uh, maybe talk about like, like what you're doing now outside of skiing, um, just yeah yeah i mean i'm a little bit lost in terms of like my real life stuff (laughs) um i'm currently kind of going back to school i've kind of going back to school (laughs) (laughs) well i just did have a very full course of organic chemistry and calculus and you know a writing class all together and it like drove me absolutely insane um but i've kind of found that you know I am going to get a college degree eventually, hopefully soonish. Um, <laughs> but being able to kind of push past that fear is, you know, what what skiing and mountain biking and all that outdoor stuff has taught me is in real life, 
it, you don't have to just listen to what other people tell you to do. Like find something that really brings passion out. Uh, I could get a degree in, you know, like graphic design or whatever. I'm actually pretty good at that stuff. Just kind of naturally I've always been, but I want to go to school and like push myself, learn. So I'm, I'm currently going into kind of like a biology science degree. Haven't really decided quite yet. Um, but I just, I think that being able to push yourself, uh, mentally and physically is really important. Um, just it, like when I was going to school before I kind of grew a lot as a person. Um, I, I just wanted to go to school to make money. Like we were talking about earlier, like I wanted a job that would make me money. And now I, I want something that will bring me joy. And I want something that might bring other people joy or happiness or well-being. Um, and I just don't think it's that important to take the fast route and make a lot of money. I think it's a lot more important to figure out what's actually going to make you happy in life and go for that. Even if it takes a lot longer, it takes a lot more effort just because you're going to end up dying one day anyways. <laughs> Dark but true. I say it all the time. Yeah. Like you might yeah. as well die when if it'd be way better to die if you're happy. Like if I die today, which I really hope I don't <laughs> or soon, you know, in, in that aspect of things, just I, I would be way happier with my life today than if I had taken the route of just graduating college with whatever degree I could I could do easiest or make me the most money I just don't think I would be happier I think I would be much sadder <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hundred percent bought in on happiness yeah that's for sure um, and it's funny too because like when you think about people that like go work at ski hills like the generalization is people who are not concerned with like their future they're just like fuck it let's just go be ski bums and live on you know yeah. ramen and and whatever but like i mean you you, you can see in the the movie it. that we were eating ramen you're eating ramen, ramen is really good. <laughs> i mean it's delicious when you make it right <laughs> but you got but anyway like, you you have thought through from what i'm getting at at least marita and jp i know you like have plans and ideas for like what you want to do in your with your time here but i just i i respect the fuck out of the fact that you guys are able to be patient in terms of the financial stuff. Like, whereas the whole world is rushing, especially now with like COVID and stuff, like you guys lost your jobs overnight and yet you didn't just like quickly turn to changing your lifestyle. Like you're still committed to like keeping happiness at the core of it. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, I was like, well, I could work at a grocery store or I could just work at a bike shop and get a bike discount and buy more bikes <laughs> and have more fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So JP, what's, what's, uh, your Marina's going back to school. You've, you, I know like you're actively against the concept of school. From well, I'm not actively against the concept of school. I am, but you, you've very chosen disinterested. never to even go that direction. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. very disinterested in it for myself. Yeah. I don't think that it's a bad thing. I just don't, it doesn't, whenever I've been in a school environment, I don't succeed in it. And so I don't yeah. think that there's a there's a worthwhile reason for me to be paying for something that I don't succeed in. Mm -hmm. So I need to find something that's worth my time. And yeah, I don't learn in a classroom setting. 
I should probably try to learn in a different setting. Yeah. Like you did and last summer, for example, talk a little bit yeah, about that. So, so after 2019 season, well, yeah, I mean, I can start out with me originally going to the bike shop. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about bikes. Never wanted to be a mountain biker. I was a trail runner. I liked trail running. No way. I was a big trail runner. I would run 12 miles in a day. Wow. Loved it. Super. I would, you know, 4,000 vertical feet. Let's go. Blisters on my feet. Don't even, doesn't even matter. Then I went to, you know, Colorado again, and I did the whole blow out the knee thing, got back. Mm-hmm. Oh, turns out when you blow out your knee, you can't run. Mm. Huh, what can you do? You ride a bike around, you drive through downtown Bellevue, you see a help wanted sign on the bike shop. You mentioned that to your, you know, new girlfriend's dad and the turns out the girlfriend's dad has the ability to get you a job at that shop because wow. he's a rep for a bunch of bike companies and stuff so he got me a job there and uh i was just like oh yeah i ride a commuter bike or whatever and i went to a mountain bike demo and i was like what the hell this is the most fun thing other than other than skiing i could not believe how fun something could be besides skiing I was just blown away. It's like you can move through the you can move through the woods without being in pain. Yeah, like you don't have to be in pain to be pounding knees. Oh yeah, I just thought that that was part of being in the mountains was pain. (laughs) Just okay, pain for an hour Mm -hmm. while I'm running, and then I stop, and then there's like a little less pain, and you know, whatever. It's just what it is. So you got hooked on mountain biking. I got totally hooked on mountain biking. just got to the point where it was like I was going I'd wake up at 5.30 every morning and go out to Duthie and just go do laps for two hours and get like just keep riding right there keep riding over and over again the same trails just trying to improve trying to see what I could do and Mm -hmm. you know like we were talking about this earlier but like seeing the improvement seeing like I was really into Strava at the time I wasn't good at the actual technical mountain biking, but the only way I could measure my improvement was through my lap times. Mm -hmm. And so I would just like get my lap time down two seconds and I'd just be like, I'd be at the middle of just like, yes. (laughs) I love that. I love love that feeling. Seeing that improvement being like, like, I'd stand at the top of deuces wild where there's like the, you know, deuces is like the dual slalom course, right at Uh Duthi. And so I'd, I just sit on the right side and wait for someone to come up, pedal up to that thing and then just take off on the left side. And then I'd give them like a five, 10 second head start and I just chase them down. Wow. I just, that was my goal was just chase people down, just go as fast as possible. (laughs) And then (laughs) I honestly, we can go into that later, but I think gingers have a lot to do with us being uh, crazy, but (laughs) um, something to be said about it. um, Yeah. I think the, uh, that whole like getting getting into it through improving and having that that feedback and and once I like I got a new bike and like starting to improve and improve and just keeping the ability to like oh my brain is actually doing something hmm. right now rather than be feeling stagnated yeah. um, mountain biking definitely helped me with that. And the whole time that I was learning how to mountain bike, I was also learning just like about bikes because I didn't know anything about bikes, but I was working in a bike shop with a bunch of really knowledgeable people. And it was just a totally new experience for me because, you know, I grew up doing like little neighborhood 
bike rides with my dad, but not like actual biking. Mm-hmm. You know, Marita's me too. Like Marita's bike dad, the streets, but never knew like there was a sport of mountain biking or like, yeah. a sport of cycling. Yeah, know? my dad would tell me about mountain biking because my dad used to mountain bike. Uh-huh. But the way he used to, he used to describe it because when they would go mountain bike, it was with rigid twenty six mountain bikes at Tiger Mountain. <laughs> There's like, all right, I want to go out and get bloody. And as a kid, you're like, oh, I don't want to go get bloody. <laughs> but when you're riding a 26 inch rigid mountain bike, you're probably going to fall because there's going to be one route and you're going to eat it. 26 inch roots, yeah. yeah, and nobody Let's, wore uh, knee pads. You just wore you guys, lycra. You guys want to take a break? Yeah, I could probably. Beer. I could probably take a quick one. Go pee. Sweet, I'm going to throw the. Yeah, I'm going to go pee too. The. Uh, I'm going to throw yeah. the food in. Cool. All those white claws just went through me. Yeah. <laughs> and. We're back. The fish is in the oven right now. We got fish and sweet potatoes in the oven. We're about to grub down. Hell yeah. I'm excited my for that. Gluten Good job, free, My gluten-free stomach will be very happy with that. Gluten-free. So the guy over here has never been taking a diet in his life. No, it's not, not exactly true. <laughs> I'm fucking with you. Yeah, no, I... When I was in high school, I would weigh 295 pounds uh, my senior year. And, That's right. Before uh, I knew you. Yep, and then I cut gluten and dairy out of my diet, and I went cut down to 190 hmm. um, in less than a year. That's all you did, really? Yeah. So you were cut, 295 And then pounds. I also, like I was talking about earlier, trail was into trail running. Uh-huh. Um, but that essentially allowed me to cut down uh-huh. to, like, a, a fighting weight. Uh-huh. What's Alpi doing over there? Alpi, come here. Come here. Oh, Come over here and lie down. Chasing bunnies. Come over here and lie down. Oh, yeah. She's got you her You guys train her very well. And, hey, uh, go over there. Lay down. There's a down. scene. I think the lay last down. scene in the film, Alpi's got girl. her sunglasses, her goggles on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't think it's going to make the actual cut of the short film, but um, I asked Marita, like, how did you guys actually train her to, like, use the goggles? So maybe, <laughs> like... It was a pain in the ass. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, best, trick, best trick. Best trick. Just have them wear them without the lenses, cause mm-hmm. what they want to do is try to take the goggles off. And how do dogs take the goggles off? They smush their face into the ground. Mm-hmm. So if you have the lenses in, they're gonna be scratching those lenses up. Um, so what we did was like just when we were hanging around the house, we had her goggles on without the lenses, mm-hmm. and just you know gave her treats, allowed her to you know just hang out with them on. Um, first time we took her out when it was like actually out on the snow and stuff she definitely didn't like them that much she tried to take them off with her paws like mm-hmm. this um putting her paws over her face and trying to pull them off but uh, there we go <laughs> um but as uh as we've just as she's gotten older we've had more experience with her she's gotten a lot better but the biggest thing for training her was just getting her at least comfortable enough to like continue to walk with them mm-hmm. without the lenses in so we didn't scratch those lenses up as much. We should talk a, a minute here about Alpi. We should have a little I want to hear Alpi. I want to hear the Alpi story. A Come here. Alpi stories. Yeah, so she had kind of an interesting uh, childhood. So we got her, you know, she was great great little puppy, um kind of a little you know, weird stomached poopy barfy girl um, <laughs> but uh, she had this thing happen to her when she was a puppy it was a it was a vaccine reaction huh. and now when I say that 
don't think that I'm against vaccines because <laughs> vaccines are a very important part of how we all are surviving all right. in this right, in this Dr. day and age JP. here. Uh, <laughs> but here. the the way that this vaccine was put into her was put um, first of all, it was a vaccine she probably didn't need because the things that it was vaccinating for are not diseases that are here. In the, this so I think it was the parvo lepto. Well, like essentially, we got her vaccines done at um, Petco or PetSmart. I'm not sure which one. Whichever one has like the the vet that comes in, and um, she she essentially they just distribute the vaccines throughout the whole country. So like the same ones. This one does doesn't actually help prevent from anything that's in Washington State. Mm. That's essentially the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So like if we went to a different part of the country, it would have been helpful, but because we live here wasn't actually that helpful. It was distributed in like her shoulder blade area, which is common for some vets, but like a little bit more risky because it's toward the spinal area and not just like in that big muscly area of the like glutes, mm-hmm. which is where a lot a lot of shots are are distributed. And her body essentially two weeks later reacted really rapidly within four hours when she was like the size of a, if you put like two footballs together, that was the size of her. A couple um, months old, maybe yeah, two months. Yeah, she was like four months old at that time. Um, and a big like watery lump developed on her back and within four hours the size of a grapefruit. So it essentially took up like a quarter of her back and oh, it wow. developed in four hours. Yeah. Giant balloon on her back. I took her into the vet and they drained it. We're like, oh, we don't know what this is. And decided, and then like did some tests and there was a whole bunch of white blood cells. So they were like, oh, it's probably a reaction for something. We were like, yeah, she got a vaccine in that area. Um, like just a shot in that area. And so they kind of determined that was the cause of it. Um, she essentially ended up having to have two surgeries um, because her body had reacted so harmfully to it that it created a nodule, which is just essentially like a bunch of scar tissue inside the body. Um, And it was really close to her spinal cord. Thankfully, it didn't actually get down to her spinal cord. Um, She had two surgeries when she was really young. She wasn't able to play or like get any exercise uh, because she just she had these really deep surgeries in her back. She had to have Jeez. draining tubes on her. Um, oh gosh. We have photos of her like wearing these. We bought these little baby like wife beaters, these little tank tops that we put on her. Um, and you guys got her together, you two. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah it was. We actually. How old had, is she now? She's three. Three. Wow. Yeah, three years old. Wow, I didn't even actually <clears throat> know this about yeah. Alpi. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Her first day back to the park, she, she like the, the when we were in the in the vet and we went back and we're like, hey, the, we think that it's healing enough. Can she go to the park and go play? Because like she really need, like she's been like you know two months as a puppy without being able to go off leash, play and socialize and do normal puppy things. Yeah, no running, no jumping nothing you're just walking around going pee uh, pee and poop outside and back in back we had her whenever she was playing we put this little we just bought a life jacket off amazon so it was only like 30 bucks or whatever just like it's padding and so we put the little tank top on her and the life jacket so it would pad her her stupid draining tubes wow yeah um and she get to go play with marita's uh mom and mom 
mom's labradoodle. She, and she knows we're talking about her right now. Are we talking about you? Alpine? We're talking about you and Ike. Oh, and Izzy. yeah. Oh. Yeah, one time because we had her with that life jacket on anytime she was running to like hold everything together. JP was actually riding down um, on Luther Burbank where there's a bunch of docks that go over the water, mm-hmm. you know, just down on that public area. Yep. Um, and he was riding his bike and Alpie at that time had her life jacket on, not because they were going to go in the water, but just because she had this whole surgery stuff. Yeah. And as a little puppy, the dock kind of... Um, Kind of you know those dots, out, right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like yeah. fingers out, and yeah. JP like rode off one. And Alfie just ran right off the dock. <laughs> yeah. But she had this life jacket on. So she, she thought was we just were floating. on like, you know, we were on you know those paved paths, the gravel paths, and then all of a sudden we're on another paved path, and she's just like looking at another dog, and all of a sudden she she's like, oh, I'm in the water. That's hilarious. And I luckily she had a life jacket on, so she's just floating around doing circles underneath the dock, and I'm like, where the hell is Alfie? <laughs> I was up at uh, Mason Lake, Malakwa, Lake Malakwa. Yeah. One of these lakes, uh, Alpine lakes. and uh, Right up near our house. Right near, yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll get there. We'll finally, uh, we haven't even really talked about your knee injury. Like, I don't even, I don't even know. <laughs> we might have I to wanna, make two podcasts. We really we might, might have to make yeah, two might, podcasts. This might have to be part one. Yeah. But, uh, we've already, this has been super fun already, but uh, I watched a dog running around and it didn't, it didn't really have like, physics down for the snow but it it probably had never been in the snow before and it jumps onto the snow and starts sliding and falls straight into this into a, into a creek it was just like it was so funny to watch it brought me so much joy yeah. it ran and jumped as you could see it just struggling uh, oh sorry i just bumped the mic oh, i'm no, just gonna pop another can open here <laughs> that's the weirdest so, way to marita do it. you almost died skiing last year i just want to get straight to the okay point. you almost died skiing you had a serious accident talk to me about it maybe describe what happened and then like how you went through the recovery i mean just yeah to talk to, talk to yeah me so it was actually the day that that happened was kind of a little bit weird um i actually hadn't and pull the mic just a little closer I actually um, had been kind of a little bit sick that week, um, so I didn't end up working, not necessarily because I was sick, there just wasn't any business, it was in the afternoon, um, and I ran into one of our friends, uh, who was a fellow free ride coach, um, and he was like, hey, I'm going to go check out this, this line that I'm looking at to go compete with. Um, up on the king, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna. I was gonna do a king lap. Um, I'll, I'll come with you." And it was uh, January, so we'd just gotten a little bit of snow, but not very much, and it was still pretty bare, especially up on the front side of the king. And we went up. Uh, he was looking at this line, essentially one of the gnarlier lines on the king on the front side, in between brain damage and pinball. And, um, I followed him down it, um, and when we were traversing across, because it was still kind of thin, I ended up catching one of my skis as we were traversing. So essentially we'd gone through a pretty gnarly section already doing, sorry, the easiest, uh, part over to the, to the actual drop in of the, of the full line. And I caught a, I, I caught a ski on a pretty sharky rock. It tumbled me over. Um, I flipped over once, almost caught myself, but then just continued to tomahawk 
which for those who are not skiers essentially means you go head over heels down the mountain in a pinwheel. Um, It's one of the steeper lines on the mountain. I don't actually know the degree, but I don't know if JP knows the degree of it. Really steep, lots of cliffs. 47 to 50 where it was cliffs and then back to 40 again. And where she stopped. Steep. Steep. Very, very steep, steep. Very scary. And tomahawking meaning head over heels falling. Yes. Uncontrollably. Head, arms and <clears throat> legs completely stretched out as though you are a tomahawk flying through the air. Yes. Good description. Um, <laughs> I ended up tomahawking probably about six to 700 feet down the mountain over a few smaller cliffs, you know, five to 10 feet probably, uh, meaning exposed rock. Uh, Thankfully, there was a cliff that was like 100 feet that was to my left and I didn't go off that. Wow. I ended up stopping myself because kind of (laughs) as I was tumbling, at first I kind of loosened my body because I didn't want to injure myself. And then I realized I was continuing to tomahawk and not stopping um, and that there was a cliff that's 100, 200 feet that was to my left. I needed to stop because I need. I could not go off of that. Uh, definitely. You saw it coming, so you were tomahawking and you were she conscious. Didn't, she didn't see it coming. She knew it was coming. I, kn- I knew where head. I was on yeah, the mountain. Yeah. Um, and I was I was actually conscious at this time. Yeah. I I did Spinning not the air for how long? Like what what was it like to be in that moment? Because I know when you're when you fall mountain biking, it's it's over fast and things slow down yeah you just have to commit to it and you're just like ah i mean it probably wasn't that long it was probably less than 15 seconds doesn't take that long long to get down the hill Mm -hmm. um but i remember essentially from the beginning to the end when i'm at the point of i've tomahawked probably at least eight to 10 times head over heels, you know, (laughs) those rotation, that many rotations. I was like, I'm not stopping by just going limp right now. I need to, to essentially fight for my life at that point. Um, and so at that point I tried to turn my body into the hill as much as my sensations could could like allow me to do that. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, I definitely, I started slowing down. I slowed myself down to a stop by like essentially throwing myself into as much snow as I could find to the right. Cause I knew to the left was essentially death. Um, and, uh, by the time I stopped, I was still conscious. I had stopped in essentially a sitting position in the snow where I had one ski on, um, still, which was my left ski um and Which was the knee that didn't get messed up knee that didn't get messed up um and then my right ski i watched it slide past the hill like hill mountain slide down the mountain past me and then i watched this other object slide past the mountain down me and i reached up and was like whoa my helmet is in like five pieces right now. <laughs> she didn't actually read up, reach up to grab her helmet until I got to her. <clears throat> no, that's not true. You, you were there your, a long time. You took time your after. helmet off when I got there. No, really? you're wrong. You're wrong. You're very wrong. You the, saw the helmet. You were probably shocked when you <clears throat> saw it was in pieces. We, I was incredibly shocked. In the film, shocked. we have pictures of it that you guys sent me. Yeah. And it's like 
just imagining a human head being in that helmet as yeah. that damage to the helmet was occurring. I mean, she, she called me and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm headed up on Chinook chair and I have it on speakerphone with a chair full of people. And they're, <laughs> she's like, I fucked up, mm-hmm. you know, pardon my French, but. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I, you know, she really messed up. Yeah, and, we heard. I, we heard, yeah, we I had given her a little bit of a warning. Did you? I was like, "Hey, he you, had, yeah, yeah, actually, super bad conditions yeah. on the front side of the king right now. Do and not go front side of the king. That, yeah. Let alone the gnarliest line that you can possibly find." Yeah. yeah so essentially, I hadn't fully gone to the story, but um, yeah, JP was like, "Hey." I, I'm going to catch up with you, but you're already up on chair six, which is essentially like almost to the hike to the king for those who do not know, although that wasn't that descriptive. Um, <laughs> um, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ski like the backside, which is essentially like mellow pow, just open fun run. And then I ran into our friend. He actually was having a pretty bad day. I'm not going to go into that much detail about that, but I was like, yeah, I'll ski with you. Like shouldn't be that bad. And uh, essentially, JP had told me when I had agreed that I was going to ski the backside, like, hey, front side's probably not going to be that great. But because I ran into our friend, he was having a bad day. I was like, hey, whatever. I'm going to ski super cautiously. I had skied super cautiously. Uh, it was just a really bad coincidence. Should have listened to my trusty ski partner, but I didn't. <laughs> Trust a ski partner. <laughs> um... But I didn't, and bad shit happened. Um, but yeah, essentially, I when I finally stopped spinning down the mountain, um, I was in the sitting position. I reached up, was like, wow, really glad I was wearing a helmet, because otherwise, I would have been totally dead. Also, just to note, the person I was following was not wearing a helmet, and I followed his exact track. And honestly, I'm glad that I'm the one who caught the rock because he would have been dead. Um, he would have died. Sure. And I told him straight to his face. I was like, you better wear a fucking helmet. Uh-huh. I was pissed off that he wasn't wearing a helmet. Because <laughs> uh-huh. he was just risking his, his life. For no reason. For no reason. And he was going through some shit. He was going through some shit with like... Does he always not wear a helmet? Or? I, you know, honestly, I haven't... I didn't, I didn't really see him much this year. Um... Seems but like he a, would. Yeah. He was. He wouldn't wear a helmet a lot of the time, and sometimes he would wear a helmet. But like, he would wear a helmet for when he was in competition because you have to. You like when you're in in an IFSA competition, you have to wear a back brace. Even. Oh wow. You're like required to wear protective gear because the stuff you're going on is incredibly dangerous. He chose to do the one of the gnarliest lines off the king on a snowboard without a helmet. Seems he didn't do he didn't he didn't mess up, mm-hmm. but Marita did, and she was her life was saved by that helmet. Jeez. Yeah, I remember when Smith, I saw it. You know, happen. shout out. <laughs> when you guys were sending me those photos, and I like heard about it happening. I was we were in the middle of just starting to film our yeah. first season. Yeah, and we were like. We want to make a film together. This is going to be so great. And then week, like, it was like end of January. Yeah, it was the, yeah. It was the end of January. Super early season. So yeah. then that whole season, we only filmed with JP. There's Alpi running around. Um, <laughs> we pretty much only filmed JP. We got you kind of like coming back to the sport. Yeah. Um, 
And then this season, the hope was like, we we're going to just film redemption, you know? Yeah. We're going to get <laughs> redemption. You were going to go ski the same line potentially that you yeah. fell on. And it was just going to be kind of like all about you coming back to the sport. Little did we know that there was going to be like three or four other curveballs. Totally. That yeah. came up during the Quite film. a few curveballs this year, huh? Yeah. And but that's like there's the a big thing. main one, you know, <laughs> that was just like the ball that hit us right in the face and you know, broke our teeth out, but I feel like we, we're going to need to have like another hour podcast. Cause like, we, I, we just, yeah, we're I not think done. So. Yet. We're not done at all. We're not done. Have part you ever finished one. the story? This is, this is part <laughs> one. Yeah, let's have, let's have Marita finish this story. And then like, maybe we'll find another hour or something to like, just talk more in depth about like this season. And then like moving forward, talking, kind of just talk through the film a bit more. Um, but yeah, this has been this has been great. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Ahead. So um, essentially, yeah, helmet destroyed, and then I was like, "Wow, my right Wait knee on. really hurts." Um, and at this point, the person I was skiing with um, had come down to me, was like, "Wow, I almost watched you die. So glad you're <laughs> not dead." Um, and uh, we called ski patrol. I called JP and was like. Hey, let's connect this story. I fucked up. <laughs> um, <laughs> and was like, yeah, I am really glad I was wearing a helmet. Also, my knee's completely gone. Pretty sure. It you hurts. It at the time. Yeah. I, I've torn both. I had torn both my ACLs before this, this point. So when I was 13, I tore my right ACL. Um, pretty clean tear. Just a, a shitty experience. Um, and then when I, the season JP destroyed his right knee, I actually also tore my left ACL, right? Or did I mix this up? I think I tore my left ACL <laughs> first and then my right. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> uh, I got, um, <laughs> I got, um, reconstructive surgery on both of those for my hamstrings, um, both of them working. Then this crash in 2019 happened and essentially with the knowledge of I've torn both my ACLs and I know what that feels like when I was at the end of my tomahawk sitting on the side of the king being like, wow, I just fucked up. Really glad I was wearing a helmet. I was also like, my knee has never hurt like this ever before. I have never felt pain like this ever before. I really messed up. I'm probably not going to ski the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, and I ended up tearing my, let's see, what was it? MCL, LCL, PCL, and PLC. But my reconstructed ACL actually stayed fairly intact, and I didn't tear my meniscus, which is really thankful because that's your cartilage. Somehow. Somehow. No idea how. Um, and I was really lucky to be able to have good health insurance and already have a doctor, uh, an orthopedic surgeon, um, that's worked on me that I know is really good. I was able to get into him within a week, get surgery within two weeks, and I still managed to get turns all year that year. So that was the most impressive part. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I don't I, even know I, how I, she I did it. I actually just told, I think I did a podcast yesterday. I was telling them <clears throat> the guy about you and how you had big knee surgery. I said ACL, MCL, whatever it was, and you didn't take a month off skiing. Yeah, essentially, I'd already yeah, skied January. Worse than, than um, I I toured at the end of January, and I ended up having surgery scheduled for February eighth. 
So I skied lucky before the COVID too. Yep, before COVID. Whereas JP didn't get so lucky with that one. Yeah. No, well, yeah, because it was the year before. Actually, still feels better than my right knee. Does it? Yeah, even though my left knee doesn't have an ACL, Oof. my left knee has less pain than my right knee, which is reconstructed. Oof. Yeah, but um, <laughs> for some reason, I managed getting turns all year because I essentially skied uh, two days before my surgery. Mm-hmm. With like two out of the five ligaments in my knees uh, or my right knee. And I just skied disco though. Very green run. Mm-hmm. Just for those uh, who, who don't know what disco is. Um, super easy. Just kind of like floated on some pow. Mainly skiing on my left leg. And then got surgery February 8th. You know, started recovering. Was able to walk March 25th and then put skis on March 31st and skied March 31st like walking for a week after surgery. Let's put this as a disclaimer. She went on one green run afterwards. Yes, please don't try this at home. Yes. (laughs) The point is like she got what I'm seeing from my perspective is like so much passion for this sport that you're like you want to just do that just for the sake of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just get on the skis. Yeah. Like you can't let a we're, knee injury. We're getting on the chairlift, and I'm and and she's like, oh, I did see standing up literally to the last second as the chairlift starts to lift away, and then she like plops her butt onto the chair <laughs> because she can't bend her Too knee much. far enough oh. to sit down. Oh yeah, the chair. I could only bend it like. And then what, when we would get to the terminal, she would just like, like stand up instantly as we would get to the terminal at the top because that's absurd. And she's like, okay, I definitely can't do that again, but I'll ski down this run because that's easy. Apparently, even though you have no ligaments. Wow. Wow. But anyway, let's eat. Let's eat. Let's eat. Okay. Let's eat. This has been super fun. All right, that's a wrap for the podcast with J.P. Cook and Marita Solberg. Thank you guys for listening. If you made it this far, clearly you're interested in their story. And I hope this podcast did a good job of going a little bit deeper into their story. Obviously, we just still are scratching the surface. And for sure, they will be back on the podcast at some point in the future, maybe as individuals, so that I can really peel back some more layers. But we're going to keep creating. We're going to keep making stories. JP and Marita want to get their hands on the cameras, so that'll be fun. And we just want to share this passion that we have with other people in our community because it truly has changed my life to wake up every day with a direction and some level of fulfillment in what I'm doing on a daily basis. It's like I really can't overstate how powerful it is to feel like what you're doing every single day is what you're supposed to be doing with your life and i'm about to turn 26 and time is not slowing down but because i'm living in a way that i feel is in tune with what my calling is it gives me a chance to avoid the biggest scariest possible thing in life which is having regret So if you want to follow JP and Marita, for sure you should do that. They're on Instagram at mountainman.nw and mountaingirl.nw. I'm also on Instagram at adventure underscore creator. And I would love to hear from you. It would be super cool to collaborate in any way. Recommend a guest, bring someone on to the podcast that you know or yourself. 
and just continue building this community around passion, adventure, and living life the way that we're meant to live it. All right, till next time, I'm out of here.